Good morning. Glad you're here. Grace and peace to you this morning. Uh, Pastor Mark and Danielle and family are still in New York uh, as uh, Danielle's mother passed. And this has been a rather sudden thing for them. It's just happened in the last couple of months where she really went downhill really fast. And so it was one of these suddenlies, these inexplicable. She was really not very old. And so be praying for them as they walk through this time. And again, we're they're part of us and we're part of them. And so we just hold them in the grip of our faith today. So um, we, we come to you this morning to talk about peace. How, how do we find peace in the middle of these inexplicables, in the middle of difficulties that we're going to face, things that don't seem to go the way we'd love them to be, love them to? Uh, the definition of peace is freedom from disturbance, tranquility, calmness, restfulness. We want to frame our time uh, in John 16. Jesus is talking to his disciples. This is a very difficult time for the disciples. Jesus is telling them, he's trying to get the point across to them that I'm leaving. The time is coming where I'm not going to be with you any longer. And I actually have to do this for the Holy Spirit to come. This made no sense to them. They didn't understand this all the way to the end. Uh, so you can imagine the anxiety, the frustration, the discouragement that was beginning to build in them. And so Jesus is trying to explain this to them, and he goes on in, in John 16, 33, and says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Somehow I think we've all picked up in our faith training that if we have faith, and we're doing everything right, then life should be going pretty well. We should have joy and peace most of the time. And if not, we probably shouldn't tell anybody about that because uh, they might wonder about, uh, maybe we're doing something wrong. Now, I'm not sure how we picked this up. I think all of us have picked this up somewhere. I'm not sure how we've picked this up. As I read the scriptural story, all of those that are following God seem like they went through some challenges. We saw the people of God wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. You can imagine frustration, discouragement, anxiety, fear that was welling up in them. We see the people of God going into exile, feeling hopeless feelings, helpless kinds of feelings. We see all these warring factions against each other, the fear, insecurity that might have come out of that. If you follow along with our lectionary text, um, which I'm sure all of you do, right? I mean, you've been like reading the lectionary stuff this morning before you came, meditating on it, so letting it, oh, no? Okay. Uh, anyway, for the one of you that did that, um, if you follow along with the lectionary text in 1 Samuel, we see this lamenting prayer of Hannah, dealing with infertility and frustration and sadness and lament. And we also see... Uh, Jesus himself totally being misunderstood by all of those around him. And then, of course, the disciples, as they're hearing this, and it's confusing to them, and, and uh, the fear and so forth that's, that's welling up in them. Yet Jesus tells us he wants us to have peace. He wants us to be able to find this place of peace, this lack of disturbance, this tranquility, this place of peace in the midst of all these circumstances. Sometimes also in our faith training, particularly if you've had any formation in the charismatic and Pentecostal world, uh, we have this sense that 
again, if we're doing the right thing and saying the right thing, then life is pretty much like a plane taking off. There's a little disturbance at the beginning as you're going through the clouds, but eventually you get above the clouds and life is sweet and life is pretty smooth. I don't know about you, but I've not seen real life work that way. Uh, I think real life works more like train tracks. We've got two right side by side. We've got wonderful, beautiful, glorious things happening and stressful and challenging and confusing and frustrating things happening at the same time, side by side. So how do we do this life? Jesus saying that he has overcome the world doesn't mean we're not going to go through hard things. We are all going to to, um, experience some difficulties in our lives. The good thing is he is with us in everything that we go through. The good, the bad, everything that we experience, he is right there with us. Psalms 35 says, weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. We want that rejoicing. And a lot of times we want to skip the weeping so we can get right to the rejoicing. You know, I really would prefer to just stay there with everybody happy and not have to go through the painful times. But that, too, is part of life. I have clients that will say, um, can't I get through this faster? And I'll say, no, because weeping does have to endure for the night. And sometimes those nights, if you've been through them, seem a lot longer than they should. But we can always count on the fact we will get through this. And joy does come in the morning. Scripture's full of stories of weeping and rejoicing. You guys probably all know the story in 1 Kings of Elijah. I love Elijah and Elisha. And I used to tell great stories to my kids, very dramatic stories to my kids about them when, they, when my kids were little. But the story of Elijah, when he calls down fire from heaven and it consumes the altar and all the prophets of Baal, and we used to say in our stories, and everybody knew that our God was the one true God. Well, right after that, the king goes and tells his wife Jezebel what happened. And so Jezebel sends message to um, Elijah and says, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take you out. So Elijah, the mighty man of God, runs. In 1 Kings 19, verse 3, we see, Elijah was afraid. This is anxiety. I always say that anxiety is like a cat over the bathtub. If you've ever tried to put a cat in water, they usually go, you know, resist it at at all costs. But Elijah ran for his life. He went to the wilderness and he went to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. This is depression. I've had enough, Lord, he said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. For many of us, it might not be take my life. It may be Gosh, things are just too hard. I can't keep going through this. This is just so heavy and so hard. I think we've judged Elijah over the years. I think we've been surprised. It's like, Elijah, you're a prophet. You're this mighty man of God. How did you suddenly get anxious and depressed? But I think what's important for us to see here is it's possible to get anxious and to get overwhelmed, even when we're doing God's work even where we're right where we are supposed to be, we can still go through some times where we're anxious or where we're depressed. And this isn't a surprise to God. 
because he knows us. He knows how we were made. He knows what we're going through. One of my favorite scriptures in Psalms 103, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are but dust. He remembered how Elijah was formed. He remembered that Elijah was just dust. So let's read on. Then he lay down under the bush. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. There are times when we have anxiety and depression because we're tired, we're exhausted. And so what did God do? God sent an angel to give him food and water and sleep, and then food and water and sleep, so that he was able to go on and do the next thing that God called him to do. It's a strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, he still had some struggles. If you read through Elijah, he still has some struggles with, with discouragement. But I believe by taking the time and God feeding him and letting him rest, it gave him the energy to go and do the next thing that God called him to do so that he could hear that still, small voice. We're living in a time where we certainly see a lot of people dealing with anxiety and fear, certainly see them dealing with discouragement and depression. And so how do we find God in the midst of these? How do we find God in the midst of these difficult circumstances that throw us curveballs pretty consistently? First of all, God is not surprised by this. He's not surprised that um, we freak out over things that don't go well. He sees the beginning and the end of all things. And we don't know what's going to happen five minutes from now. We don't know what's happening in the lobby. And so he knows we're going to freak out over this stuff. Uh, when things, um, when we have certain plans and they go sideways, he understands this and he, he cares for us in the midst of that. Now, one of the reasons that we see that so many people are dealing with discouragement right now is because we have this ability to have instant news. Uh, we hear the bad, uh, the difficult, uh, um, the, the stressful happen immediately. We get push notifications on your phone. Aren't those beautiful? They tell you about the next crisis that's happening in the world someplace. So it just keeps you up on this. Mm -hmm. um, we have this wonderful thing called Facebook. If you're not really familiar with Facebook, it's where people get together and they just nurture each other. They, they share wonderful, nurturing kinds of thoughts and meditations with each other. It's, it's just this beautiful experience um, if you have any Facebook encounters. And so we have um, the ability. Now, things have always been bad. Things have always been difficult in this world. But now we know it instantly, and now we know it all rather instantly. And so one of the things we encourage people to do is in their spiritual rhythms, a part of fasting Part of fasting can be food, but part of fasting is just fasting social media sometimes. Just putting a stop on it and just letting it rest and not getting that constant thing for a season. Now, I'm not bashing the internet or bashing all of this information. It can be a great blessing in our world, but we have to manage it. Is it managing us or are we managing it? So maybe fast that for a while. Some of the anxiety and depression that we feel is genetic. 
some of us have relatives, if we look back, were alcoholics. And what they were doing is they were self-medicating their own anxiety and depression. Or maybe they were workaholics or some other addiction. But they were trying to find a way to deal with their anxiety and depression. And so they got involved in an addiction. And so we may be genetically predisposed towards that. And we need to be aware of it. Um, the good thing is, we now know that there's a lot of changes that can be made. We can make behavioral changes. We can change our thought process. We can build a support network around us to help us be encouraged. And we're living in an age where there's some very good medication that can help you if that's something that you need. A lot of depression is um, situational or reactionary. You've had a lot of bad things happen in a very short period of time. And when you've had a lot of bad things happen in your life, and then you look at the news constantly, it does feel overwhelming. It feels dark. In the last year, uh, no, the last two years, we have lost my mother, my sister, a nephew, one of our daughter's close friends, and Brent's father. Now, we can dwell, all of us, on the loss and the pain, and it's right to grieve, and it's right to weep. But it's a train track. Because just as hard things are going on, there are good things going on if we look for it. During that same time, we've had two daughters have lovely weddings and marry wonderful men. We have a precious new grandbaby that I'd be happy to show you pictures of if she's not here. We have kids that are getting jobs and getting promotions. Brent and I celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary this year. Yes, and I'm going to keep him. I was going to give him 50 years, and then I decide at 50 years while I was still cute enough to find somebody else. But I, at 40, I took him off probation. I'm going to keep him now. Yes. And we have had this wonderful building that we have been blessed with as a church community. So it's been train tracks, the good and the hard running side by side. So in talking about what we wanted to share with you in this kind of 30-minute window here this morning, we thought about what, is, what, is, what, is, what applies to all of us. Um, we talk about um, difficulties that we go through and losses. Uh, oftentimes we think about deaths, and certainly we're all going to experience that. That's part of our human journey is we're going to have loved ones that die. Um, but all of us are going through grief and loss of some kind. It's not just the death of someone. You can feel the same kind of stirring emotionally uh, in your soul uh, if you lose, uh, if there's a loss of an ideal. That I thought life was going to look like this. And life's kind of turning out to look like this um, somewhere in my life. And the difference is like a death. We go through the same emotional patterns, and it seems that God has designed us to heal by going through these rhythms, these emotional rhythms that oftentimes we're afraid of uh, in our culture. But we go through these to heal. And so for some of you, uh, we talked this last weekend, uh, did an intensive on the holidays. Some of you are going into some family experiences over Thanksgiving or Christmas, or it stirs up some things that's just not ideal, just not the Hallmark family that you wish things were. And so the ideal's up here, the real's down here someplace. Um, for some of you, your last child just moved out and your empty nesters for the first time, and even though that's what you've been waiting for all of these years, all of a sudden, you aren't as needed as much, and your role as mom and dad has changed, and it feels like a loss to you. 
Um, some of you, many of you have dealt with miscarriages and you've been trying to have children and it's, it's grievous um, to you. Uh, your job is not fulfilling you. You don't feel energized with your job and you haven't had a raise in like forever. Um, one of your children's not doing well in a, maybe a subject or a sport that you did, you did well in and now they're struggling uh, in that. A, f- a good friend of yours is just checked out and just not getting back with you. Your marriage is not where you wish it was. You, you had these ideals of what you thought it could be, and, and, it's, and it's not working out that way. Your spouse is always so busy, and you feel disconnected from them. Or you just turned 30, or 40, or 50, or 60, or whatever, and it just feels different now. At 62, I started, I remember when we turned, turned 60, I thought, you know, I knew we were like over halfway some time ago, but like we're really past halfway now. <laughs> Um, and it starts, you start thinking about that. It starts affecting you and, and, and your life. Um, some of you remember going through 2008 and you were preparing and for investments in your life and overnight you lost half of it. You're feeling very anxious um, every time you read the news and you're just wondering what in the world's going to happen. You feel out of control about simply anything and it's maddening to you. You're getting a bit older and your body doesn't heal quite as fast and sometimes it doesn't feel like it ever completely heals. Your grown kids aren't following God the way that you wish. All of those things and a hundred more are losses that we're going to experience and God has a certain pathway for us to heal properly. And some of you are going, I was doing pretty good until you brought all that stuff up. Thanks a lot. (laughs) But God has a God of hope. He's got a peace. He has a way to walk us through every one of these situations. But what if we don't know how? What if we don't know how to heal properly? Billy Graham later in his life said, Americans have no clue how to grieve. They're so bad at it. They have no clue. And many times they don't heal well. Oftentimes we see people dealing with unresolved grief. They've had these losses and they just don't do anything with it. They don't know what to do with it and they get stuck. But God is so good in that pathway that we can learn things and that we can become deeper and closer to God in the midst of it all. Doesn't mean they're good things. It doesn't mean we wanted it to happen, but we can find that way through and get to the other side. You know, everybody will experience grief. Every one of us will experience grief at some point in our lives. When grief was first being studied many years ago, we thought, Everybody had the same path. There were these predictable pathways that you went through. You went to this, and then you went to this, and then you went to this, and you went to this. What we've found since then is everybody grieves differently. You're going to grieve with, uh, grieve differently than your siblings over the loss of a parent. Husbands and wives are going to grieve differently. Uh, and the stages aren't all smooth and pretty like we want them to be. I'll have people go, so when do I get out of the angry stage? Well, you might get out of it soon, but you may go back to it in a little bit. So it really is, instead of a smooth path, we kind of bounce all over the place. The good thing is we do eventually come to acceptance. So one of the stages, which this one usually is the first stage, is shock and denial. Things seem overwhelming. I can't make sense of this. They say that there's grace in denial. Because we can't wrap our brain around this, 
we are numb for a little bit in the beginning. So we can do what we need to do. So the shock and denial stage really is putting one foot in front of the other as we move on. Eventually we move out of that and the key is that we don't get stuck in that. You know, our faith culture, oftentimes uh, denial is equated with faith. Mm-hmm. That what looks like faith for some people is actually denial. I see this at funerals oftentimes. I get frustrated sometimes with pastors and they talk about, gosh, the family's doing so well. They have such great faith. And I'm like, they're still in shock. They've not even started the process. And we're suggesting that if you have great faith, then it's not really going to affect you. You'll just get through it because you have such great faith. It's like they're, they're just now starting to even be aware that this is actually really happening. And so it's important that we allow that and trust that God is going to walk us through it, that we don't have to hide in this. Another one of the stages that's so difficult for us humans, particularly us Christian humans, is anger. We oftentimes feel like that we shouldn't be angry. If I'm a person of faith, that I shouldn't be angry, that I should move immediately to forgiveness, I should, this shouldn't be affecting me this way. And so we repress it, we push it down, we push it down, we push it down. The scripture says, in your anger, do not sin. It's not wrong to be angry. It's a very normal response to hurt and loss. It shows a lot about how powerful um, that, that person was that you loved, how, how incredible your love was is oftentimes how angry you get. And so how do we deal with anger in a way that doesn't sin? How do I not sin against others? And how do I not sin against myself? Because I think there's two ways we sin. First one is we sin against ourselves by we just, we, we, we just bite our tongue. We just push it down. Eventually, that is going to harm you. And then how do we not sin against the other? How do we not just let all of this overflow into others and harm others? There's some very important steps in, in walking this out. First of all, um, we have to understand that anger has what we call a shotgun effect to it. It's a bunch of little pellets that just scatter. Um, you might find yourself when you're going through loss and grief uh, that you are just a little more irritable um, than you are normally. It just doesn't take as much to set you off. I remember flying through an airport in Florida. Uh, my dad, um, who passed just a few weeks ago, I remember he had a stroke many years ago, and, and it, he lost all communication ability. Couldn't understand what you were saying, couldn't communicate what he was trying to say. And so um, I, I was just, I felt this loss of connection with him for many, many years. And I remember flying through an airport, because uh, anger will catch you off guard. You're, you're not expecting it. And I got out, and I was just walking um, through the airport. And my dad was a colonel in the Army, always kept himself in really good shape and physically, and, and yet he had this thing that happened to him. And so I was walking through the airport in Florida, and there were a lot of older gentlemen that were not taking care of themselves very well, it looked like to me. And yet they were alive, and they were walking around with their families. I got so mad. I was so angry. I was angry at them. <laughs> I was angry at God. I was just, I was angry at about everybody. So don't be surprised that it doesn't just sneak up on you. So how do we deal with anger in a way that doesn't cause harm to ourselves or to others? Number one, the key is validation. I call it the two V words, validation and ventilation. Validation, first of all, is we need somebody in our life, if not a few somebodies. It's oftentimes not going to be a lot. We need somebody that gets what we're experiencing. They can validate it. 
They just acknowledge it. They feel the pain. They get it. They stand with you. They don't try to give you answers because there's not any answers. There's no answer. Matter of fact, if they try to give you answers, you, pretty get, you, you probably get frustrated with them. Um, after our first child was born, we went through several miscarriages. Didn't know if we'd ever have a second child, let alone a third or a fourth. But went through several, and it was very difficult. We were in a ministry where we were supervising a an adoption agency and a crisis pregnancy center, a maternity home. We had these 14 and 15-year-old girls that were getting pregnant and didn't want to be pregnant. Um, and yet we couldn't have another child. Uh, very difficult. And I remember well-meaning people coming to, up to us and stay, saying the stupidest things. <laughs> well, you're young. You can have more. You'll be fine. It's like this wasn't a shoe we lost. This was a child. Or, well, it's good that your baby's in heaven because this world has a lot of troubles that they would have gone through. So it's good that they skipped all of those troubles. Now, I was the pastor of the church at the time, and I wanted to snatch their head from them. Um, but I didn't. Um, but it certainly didn't make me want to talk to them anymore. But I remember an older gentleman walking up to us with tears in his eyes. It brings tears to my eyes right now. Mm -hmm. And he put his um, hand on an arm and just said, I'm so sorry about your baby. That's all he said. Because there's no answers. There's, there's nothing that could help us feel better. But he helped us. He was standing with us. He stepped into the mud with us. He validated what we were feeling. And we began to heal. We don't seem to heal if we don't have and so one of the things we need to hear on this is not only do, do you need that when you're going through this, but we need to learn how to be that for people. We so quickly in the Christian community want to give people answers. Well, you know, Galatians 6.3 says this, and we just want to, you know, it's going to fix you. It's going to help you all, you know, feel totally better. Uh, your presence, your validation is powerful. And it begins to heal. And once they have, a person has that validation, then we can hear about the goodness of the, of the potential of the future. Remember Dr. Green? Boy, was, his message last week was a perfect setup for us today. Uh, remember we talked about being Psalms people? Being people that can live in the pain with hope for the future. We have to be able to, to, to live with the pain and allow people um, to experience that and us to experience it with them. The second is ventilation, is how do we get this out of us and release it in a way that doesn't harm others? And there's several ways to do this. Yes. Um, one of the things, if we're going to ventilate, if we're going to express our pain, is we've got to find safe people. And we've got to be safe people. Safe people don't judge. Safe people don't try to get you to be somewhere that you're not and say, hurry along, you shouldn't be in this. Safe people don't gossip. They don't tell people your heart that you have bared to them. I want us to be safe people and to have safe people that are here. And we have to be open and honest with God. It's really okay to tell God how mad you are and how much this stinks and that it's really not okay for this to have happened. God can take it. He doesn't just want you to say nice things to him. He wants a relationship with you wherever you're at. And it's okay to yell at God. I tell my clients, I promise you won't be struck by lightning. But let me do this. I will take on the responsibility. And if I am wrong, then I'll be the one struck by lightning. 
because you need to get this out. This is what we see in scripture. There's a lot of people that are expressing all of their hurt and their pain. The Psalms especially have some where David is crying out and expressing his pain. He says in Psalm 13, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. David was writing out his plea. And what we find many, many times is when we write things out, we actually get to where he got to at the end of the psalm. Now, not every time, but many times. And we'll begin to remember the goodness and the faithfulness of the Lord and all of the things that he's done for us. And then we can say, I may not understand why I'm going through this, but I know you're good and I'm gonna trust you. You're gonna get me to the other side. Another is simply the discouragement or depression that we feel. It's just the down blues that, that, that happen in these situations. It's not wrong, again, to be discouraged. It's a normal part of our human journey. It's actually a part to be able to embrace it and be able to, to move through it. Uh, actually can be strengthening uh, for us and enriching for us. It's an understandable experience when you care deeply about something or someone. Um, depression has what we call a corkscrew effect to it. Uh, if you turn a corkscrew in a cork, every time you turn it, the, it gets deeper. Little by little, it deepens in, uh, in the cork. And that's kind of how depression works. Is if I'm discouraged today, not only am I having a bad day today, but I don't really have the energy to look forward to planning for tomorrow to be a better day. And so tomorrow I'm susceptible to be a little bit more down, the next day a little bit more down. And the, and the challenge with depression is we can cycle um, downwards. And we can get stuck in that or we move too far to where we almost feel paralyzed. And so the key is it's kind of like a lid that you're going to feel like it's kind of coming down on you. How do we slowly put that, push that back up? And the key is slowly. Once again, we want to help people fast. We want to get people to heal fast. We want to get them over stuff fast. We try to say these, these words of encouragement to try to just get them fine overnight. Um, it's a little by little process. That's how we heal. That's how we strengthen. But we have to keep moving. There's a scripture that we love with all kinds of formation in our life and all kind of healing in our life that we think that represents it well. It's in Exodus 23, 27. God speaking and the children of Israel is saying, I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive out the Hivites and Canaanites and Hittites out of your way. But I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. It's a little by little increase that happens in us. And so we help people try to develop, begin, it's kind of forming a healthy, productive lifestyle where they start with kind of small things and then they build um, strength with those and they build a life that positively reinforces itself 
where I'm not dependent on people or circumstances to change. Because some of your circumstances are not going to change real quick. Some of our circumstances, if we have a death of a loved one, it's not going to change until we see them face to face in eternity. And it's not going to turn around today. And so how do we keep moving in the midst of those things? And how do we build this lifestyle? But it's got to be little by little. I often tell my clients that are depressed, the first thing is I want you to take a shower in the morning and I want you to put on clean clothes. And we come up with little steps that keep them from going further down that spiral. Those little things can take you up a little more and a little more until you've increased enough that you have been able to deal with this. Another stage is mourning. Mourning is tears and we get uncomfortable with that. It's like, ooh, don't cry. Or, oh, I can't cry in front of people. That's part of grief. It's okay to mourn. We just mourn with safe people. And if you're a person who tends to shut down your emotions, you may need to take a time every Thursday night and shut yourself up in a room and just go, you know what, I'm going to let myself cry now. I need to. That was a big loss. But there you have a safe place to let it out. The next one is acceptance. That doesn't mean that things are all right. It's not, okay, my sister died, that's great. No, but it's coming to realize that even though I've gone through a difficult thing, that God is with me and he has a hope and a future and he's going to walk me through this until I get to the other side. This is a marathon, not a sprint. It's a little-by-little process. Studies show that They say it takes two to five, some people say seven years to grieve a major loss. Some losses, there will always be the pain that is there, not at the extent that it is today, but there will always be something that's there. So as the church, what do we do? How can we help? If we're going to all go through grief at some point in our lives, how do we help each other? First, we help each other by acknowledging our own burnout and our own grief and dealing with that and not staying in denial or faking when we're around other people. And then we have to be there to help other people in their grief. Part of that is creating an an environment where you can be open and honest, where we don't judge each other when we go through a hard time, when we're anxious over something that I'd never be anxious over. We're still there for one another, caring for one another, and we don't try to fix them. We help in practical ways. We take them a meal. We send them a card. We hug them when we see them in the lobby. We acknowledge their pain instead of trying to avoid them. You know, somebody has something terrible that happens, and they walk in, and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to say to them. People can turn the other way. I used to say that we went through the parting of the Red Seas when we went through our miscarriages because I could see the whole church part as I came in and get busy because I didn't know what to say. We can provide support. Invite them to your small group. Invite them to have dinner with you or to go to lunch after church. Be there for people. Look around at other support systems. We have a counseling ministry. The Grief Center in Tulsa is amazing. I am so impressed with some of the things that they do. There are support groups all over town. We have mops to help moms that are adjusting to having a new baby and changing their lifestyle. Normalize getting help. It's okay. It's okay to say to someone, you know what, we do have Counseling Center. 
I'm glad to walk through this with you, but there are some other places that you can get help, and that's okay. I went there one time. And then we need to pray. We need each other's prayer. And when you see somebody and you feel like the Holy Spirit just prompts something in you, spend time in prayer for that person. God may reveal something to you that you're never supposed to tell them, but you're supposed to pray for them. So let's pray for one another. Let's listen to the Holy Spirit and see how we can be healthy and strong, not only as individuals, but as a body, walking through all of life together. As you live in this real life with each other, um, trust the power of your presence with someone. Uh, oftentimes when we don't know what to say, it means we probably shouldn't say much, um, other than just, I'm so sorry to hear that, I care about you, I'm thinking about you, and, and we're here. Now, sometimes when we talk about things like this, it stirs some things up in you. I encourage you, don't, don't hide from that, don't run from that. Um, God wants to step into your real life, your genuine, true experience, and be present with you and walk that out with you. Um, this is the real gospel, not the gospel of denial um, and just pretending. And so we happen to know many of your stories. We know many of the losses that many of you experienced, and even those that, that we haven't heard personally can only imagine that everybody is connecting with some kind of a loss. Can you say this morning that as we talked about loss that you can relate? Most of you. Sometimes we live in this moment where we're just not sure anybody is really going to fully get it. That's a good chance. Nobody else is really going to get it and feel on the level that you feel. But trust that God does. He knows exactly what you feel. He is there um, and present in um, every moment that you're experiencing um, the challenge and the beauty. And so as we leave this morning, uh, we just want you to listen to these words of Paul and Romans. Matter of fact, you might just close your eyes for a minute and let these, as you kind of embrace the, whatever might have kind of got it stirred up in you, whatever the loss that you might be experiencing in your own life, let these words settle in. In a world where things often don't make sense, in a life where we will have trouble, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or, or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, we come to you today. We trust your embrace. Lord, we pray that you'll wrap your arms around each individual, that they will know that that in the trouble that they do experience, that you get it, that you are there and present with them. And that we can be Psalms people, that we can be people that, can, that are not afraid um, to speak of the, the difficulty that we go through, 
are not afraid to bring it to you, are not afraid to bring it to each other, that we will be the kind of safe church that people can be real, and that it's okay at times not to be okay. Um, and we trust that in the midst of that, we then hope for a future. We hope for strength to endure. We hope for miraculous things to take place that we um, just rejoice over. And we trust the consistency um, and the preciousness of your presence in our life. So as you embrace these, Lord, we pray that they will feel that embrace, that they will know that they are not alone and that you are in this with them and that you have hope for their tomorrows. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray.